Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is Dr. Kidd. Dr. Kidd, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's uh, always good to have you have you on the show. Um, can you uh, just tell us what's going, what's new in your life, marriage, and ministry, and and your work at MBTS and Baylor, and uh, what are you working on writing project wise? Well, uh, classes have just started back at, at Baylor, and that's still my primary uh, teaching gig, and um, I'll be going to Midwestern occasionally in uh, the coming year uh, to teach class or two and uh, to uh, meet with, with graduate students, doctoral students, and so forth. And um, um, at, at uh, Baylor, I'm continuing to work with uh, PhD students and uh, teaching undergraduate, undergraduates. I teach a whole range of students here, so um, that, that keeps things interesting. Uh, I'm, uh, I've got three different book projects, as you know, uh, that are coming out this year. Um, I know we're going to talk about the book Who is an Evangelical, uh, but then later on I've got um, a book on American religious history that's coming out with Zondervan, and I'm currently writing a book that I'm calling a, a sort of moral biography of Thomas Jefferson, and the reason for that is partly because um, uh, Americans generally, but Christians too, are so interested in the founding fathers, and Jefferson has been a really controversial figure among Christians about what do we make of, of his uh, religion, but also his moral life uh, because of the accusations about his relationship with Sally Hemings and and um, their uh, you know supposedly their, their children together and um, so there's just a lot of complicated issues with, with Jefferson you know he did his own addition to the Bible uh, or the Gospels and cut out uh, a lot of the miracles and so forth so he's he's a fascinating character both in terms of his own beliefs and uh, but also his kind of moral universe so that's that's what I'm trying to untangle with him uh, when will that one come out uh, Lord willing it'll be out in uh, 2021 oh, i'm looking forward to that that'll be uh i'm sure no doubt very helpful so who's publishing that one do you know that's with yale university press again oh wonderful you, you do a lot with them um yeah why don't you uh for people that aren't familiar with them you want to tell us a little tell our listeners a little bit about yale press yeah so um my connection with them has everything to do with my doctoral advisor who was george marston at notre dame and uh marston had published a couple of books with Yale, um, most significantly the uh, Jonathan Edwards biography that he did with them, which was uh, uh, enormously successful in terms of critical acclaim, but also just uh, book sales. And so he had such a great relationship with them that he, he you know, helped open the door for me to be able to publish with them. Um, and it's, it's uh, they're an interesting press, I, I think, among academic presses, because they, they probably do as about a wide range of authors as any major academic academic press in America. So they, they, of course, like so many uh, university presses, they do a lot of uh, secular, liberal, academic authors, and, and then they're, they're happy to work with people like me, an evangelical Christian, obviously also an academic, and they're 
they're very happy to sort of address different uh, audiences. And so I've, I've done a number of books with them. Uh, my, my revised dissertation was with them. I did a book on the, the Great Awakening with them, biography of George Whitfield and so forth. And, and uh, the, the book Who is an Evangelical was, is with them. And now this this book on, on Jefferson, too. So I, I just have a, a wonderful relationship with them. I, I hope they don't think twice about it ever because I, it's, it's just been a, a great uh, a publishing relationship. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Um, I'm always interested to hear a little bit more about, you know, publishers and everything since I get so many books. So that's really cool. Can you uh, please tell us about your book, Who, Who is an Evangelical? The History of a Movement in Crisis. Why did you write it? And uh, since this is going to go up when it when it comes out, how do you hope it'll be received? Yeah, so um, a, a lot of my work before has been on the history of evangelical Christianity um, and the Great Awakening, George Whitfield. Um, uh, I did a book on American Christians and Islam that, that has a lot to do with the history of how evangelicals have viewed Islam. Um, so I, I certainly have an, a lot of uh, background in preparation for doing this book. Um, and I found that, that especially a lot of my blogging over the past few years has been about the question of, of the use of the term evangelical in uh, popular and media discourse. And uh, I know you know, and a lot of your listeners will know that, that it, it is very confusing to keep up with how the word evangelical is being used. And almost all the time uh, when it's used in the media, it's being used uh, to talk about evangelical political behavior. Um, there's very little interest in the media in evangelicals as Christians, um, but but there's a flood of interest in evangelical uh, political behavior. Um, and that, that uh, story really started in 1976 with uh, Jimmy Carter's candidacy for president and and a kind of a realization that there's this evangelical voting block out there that makes a difference in American politics. And then in 2016, of course, uh, the, the interest in evangelical politics just went sky high with the uh, overwhelming white evangelical, self-identifying evangelical support for Donald Trump. Um, but I, I thought, you know, so much of this discussion uh, t- tends to just politicize evangelicals and depend on uh, polling data about people who say that they're evangelicals. But how much of this is connected to this sort of historic and global evangelical movement? Um, and, and my concern is that uh, a lot of the discussion about evangelicals today, you know, it, it, it's really limited to, uh, of course, whites, um, uh, which is what the, the polling data is almost always interested in, is, is self-identifying white evangelicals. And white evangelicals who vote, of course, you know, a, a pretty strong percentage of evangelicals don't vote in any given election, but they're still evangelicals. Of course, just American uh, evangelicals and Republican evangelicals and, and so forth. And then the more you dig into the, the polling data, the, you start realizing, you know, we often don't know almost nothing about these people who say that they're evangelicals, pollsters, because it depends on self-identification and not any kind of, you know, religious or theological metrics. So I, I felt like that there was a, an opening there to sort of speak into these kind of confused areas. And uh, so I'm, I'm really writing for uh, pastors, uh, for, for journalists, for academics uh, who might have at least a kind of secondary interest in evangelicals. And, and I'm really trying to put in a plug for understanding uh, evangelicals first and foremost as a kind of historical theological movement rather than a subset of the Republican Party in America. Yeah, I thought it was uh, definitely a, a 
very helpful and interesting book that that is that is very helpful and and I and I can't think of anybody I'd rather ask this next question to uh, than you so I'm, I'm really curious about how you're going to respond to it um, so here's the question can you can you tell us how the term evangelical has been used throughout its history and how is it how, how has it changed over the years even uh, before the Great Awakening in the 1740s um, people would use the term evangelical and it really it really goes back to the Reformation uh, in in you know English usage, of course, evangelical. The evangel is a, is a, a based on a Greek term for good news. Um, but in in English usage, it uh, is really kind of uh, rejuvenated by the the Reformation. Uh, and when people would talk about uh, evangelical, it was almost always an adjective. Um, and and uh, you know evangelical preaching or an evangelical uh, pastor or an evangelical book or something like that. Uh, that would call Isaiah the evangelical prophet, um, and and that that usually just meant uh, something related to the gospel, um, or uh, maybe something that's associated with the, the faith of the Reformation. As you get down into the era of the Great Awakening, um, it becomes appropriated to apply to uh, the the movement associated with the Great Awakening, uh, and so you have evangelical preachers, and uh, again evangelical books, but but they're now more often associated with uh, the leaders of the Great Awakening, so Jonathan Edwards and, and George Whitfield and, and uh, John Wesley and, and so forth. Uh, evangelical, uh, after the Great Awakening, tends to mean uh, people, it, it tends to be a descriptor for people who are uh, in the tradition of, especially George Whitfield, who was the, the great evangelist of the, of the Great Awakening. In the 1800s, it starts to sometimes be used as uh, a noun um, and, and a self-identifier, and you, you start to get um, uh, moral reform organizations and Bible societies and so forth who sometimes will, will use the, the term evangelical to uh, describe a, a kind of um, interdenominational gospel-focused, uh, revival-focused um, movement. But it, it's still not uh, you know necessarily that common for people to say, you know, I am an evangelical. I mean, that, that, that that I think is really uh, becomes solidified with the founding of the National Association of Evangelicals in the 1940s. Um, and uh, anecdotally, I mean, it, the, you you hear from the founders of the National Association of Evangelicals that they actually picked that term evangelical uh, because it wasn't that commonly used as a noun. And so they thought, well, this this will help us to set ourselves apart uh, from other kinds of Christians in America. And so uh, people. Uh, uh, like Harold Hockengay, who's one of the founders of the NAE, or uh, Carl Henry, uh, who's who's definitely one of the most important evangelical leaders of the mid-20th century, start to make this very common where people will call themselves evangelicals. Subsequent to the founding of the National Association of Evangelicals, you also get the National Association of Black Evangelicals, uh, who are interested in the same kind of gospel issues, but also in civil rights reform, which the NAE was a little more cautious about. And then uh, in 1976, as I said before, the the word evangelical just bursts onto the national media scene uh, because Jimmy Carter accepted that term as a descriptor for himself. And so the media all of a sudden had to cover evangelicals um, and understand what uh, that term meant. 1976 was uh, declared the year of the evangelical. I think by time, you you know, all of a sudden that that year, uh, the word evangelical becomes uh, far more nationally prominent.
prominent than I think it ever had been before. But but critically, in 1976, the, the word evangelical is also directly associated with politics. And so I think that's where the uh, in, in, implicit political associations really start to become solidified. That's a brilliant answer. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Yes, definitely. Uh, what's your what's your definition of evangelicalism? I, I know there's uh, David Bevington's um, definition out there, but, but what, how would you define um, what evangelicalism is? Yeah, and Dr. Bevington and I have had long discussions about this. He, he's actually here this semester at Baylor teaching for us, um, and so he's, he's down the hall from me, I think, right now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we, we have a sort of uh, friendly disagreement about some of the details on this. I, I think, uh, you know, Bevington's definition has, has four components to it, which, which is fine, and I, I, think, I think it's a good definition, but I think um, a couple of his his aspects of of, uh, of evangelicalism are too broadly applicable to lots of kinds of Christians, um, especially he says cruciocentrism uh, and uh, or the centrality of the cross and activism are, are hallmarks of evangelicals. But I think that the problem with that is that there are other Christians who you could say the same thing about. Uh, I mean, uh, lots of Christian groups think that you should be active about your faith. I mean, wh- whether you are or not might be another question. And you know, having gone to Notre Dame, I sure know that Catholics uh, have the cross at the center of their faith in in different ways from evangelicals, but, you know, every classroom in Notre Dame has a crucifix in it, so even just in a visual sense, I think that it's uh, the cross is not just an evangelical uh, feature. So um, I think David is right about um, the centrality of biblicism. I think that evangelicals uh, do attach a, a, a sort of unique authority and premium to the Bible. Now that that's something that they drew on from the reformers, of course. I mean, it's not like it was new in the era of the Great Awakening to be dependent on the authority of the Bible, um, but especially after the, the fundamentalist modernist controversy of the late 19th and early 20th century, evangelicals came to sort of stand out uh, as not receiving higher biblical criticism and, and increasingly to affirm the inerrancy of Scripture. And then uh, conversionism, the, the experience of conversion, I definitely think is an evangelical distinctive um, that your uh, faith uh, is, is centered on, uh, your, your faith journey is centered on the experience of um, conversion and, and you're having a, your life changed by being born again. Of course, other Christians have talked about um, John 3 and Christ's exhortation to be born again, but evangelicals have made it much more central uh, than, than I think most other Christians have. So I think that uh, I would define uh, evangelicals by uh, conversion, biblicism, and then one other attribute that Bevington didn't include, uh, which is the felt presence of God in your life. Um, some some evangelicals talk about a, a personal relationship with Jesus. In the era of the Great Awakening, they were uh, they sounded a little more charismatic or Pentecostal about it, and they would talk about walking in the Spirit. Um, and that was what was new to Whitfield about his you know post conversion life is the Holy Spirit's presence and leading in his life. But however you talk about it, for if you're an evangelical, I think you believe in um, you know this relationship with God that is. It's tangible. That's uh, that's um, a, a sense of God's direct presence in, in your life. Um, that I think most other Christians don't really talk that way uh, about about their faith. And so um, I think, yeah, the, the the my definition is more of a three part definition. It's 
experience of conversion, the primacy of the Bible, and the felt presence of God in your everyday life, that those seem to me to be three uh, really foundational evangelical attributes. Yeah, that's that's really good. I wish I could be a fly on the wall with, with you talking with Bevington. Is there... I wonder if there, is there anything recorded like you guys debating this or anything like that? That I don't know if we've if we've recorded it, but I, I talk about uh, this in, in who is an evangelical about you, you know comparing it to some extent with the, the Bevington quadrilateral. Um, and but I also I also talked about it in my Great Awakening book that um, it's important to realize that for and, and in the Woodfield biography that that for early evangelicals uh, the era of the Great Awakening that felt presence of God is what seemed so new to them, um, and and so they were used to the idea of the primacy of the Bible, for instance, uh, going back to the Reformation. But what seemed so new to them was was you know I I, I can know God, I can have a personal relationship with God, and, and for them uh, it was uh, theologically what was going on is that they were being led by the Holy Spirit, um, and so Whitfield co- talked about that constantly, especially in the first few years after his conversion. That's really good. Uh, well, based on our current cultural trajectory, what does the future of evangelicalism look like in America? Well, um, I think that it's going to continue to be a, a politically controversial term, I, I, I think, for the foreseeable future. But I, I do think that the people who the media most often talks about as evangelicals, uh, which is kind of you know self-identified evangelical who's white and Republican um, and and you know usually is a, a Fox News a fan, um, I think that, that that I mean that's a real segment of evangelicalism. Um, but I think that if nothing else, just demographically, it's going to become um, a smaller segment of, of uh, practicing evangelicals in uh, in America. And certainly when you put it in global context, um, that that's a very small sliver of what evangelicalism is globally. Um, now, because uh, those evangelicals have had access to political power in America, um, at least since 1980, and, and even going back to Billy Graham's relationship with Richard Nixon and Dwight Eisenhower and so forth, I mean, that, that segment of Republican white evangelicals has had a lot more political power than most other evangelicals in the world. But I think it's also important to realize that um, that that segment of kind of white Republican evangelicals uh, just, you know, by, by sheer force of demography and population patterns is going to become uh, a, a smaller and smaller uh, segment. Um, certainly in, in America, but absolutely on the global stage. Um, there, there are definitely plenty of evangelicals who fit into that category, and they're real evangelicals, and um, they're uh, active churchgoers. Um, I think some of the, the people who identify as, as um, evangelicals in these kind of Republican news stories um, really do have kind of tenuous connections with any kind of evangelical churches, and, and it's mysterious in some ways about why some of these people actually identify as evangelicals and then when pollsters ask more questions, which they usually don't, but when they do, it turns out that lots of these people don't go to church. Some of the people who identify as evangelicals are actually turn out to not be Protestants. Um, there are Mormons who identify as evangelicals. There are Jehovah's Witnesses. 
Jews, there are Catholics, there are Eastern Orthodox people who identify as, as evangelicals. And then I think maybe, you know, the largest strange group among the self-identifying are the people who simply don't go to church, but they identify as evangelicals. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't, I don't know quite what to do with that uh, or to figure out, you know, what, what the mentality is of people who are the non-church-going evangelicals. Um, but I, I think that that also tells me that this group is more amorphous in a theological and religious sense and church sense uh, than a simple kind of accounting of, uh, you know, 81% of evangelicals believe this and that. I, I think we've got to be a, a little cautious about making definitive conclusions about what evangelicals in America believe based on just that kind of polling data. Yeah, that's that's really good. Really, a really helpful answer. Um, what are a few of the most challenging issues that evangelicals face today? Well, as you know, uh, there, there are serious problems internally with uh, biblical illiteracy, um, with, you know, people who say that their life is, uh, you know, totally uh, surrounding uh, the Lord and, and the Bible and so forth, and then they turn up to not actually know very much about the Bible or the faith that they profess. Uh, that Those kind of things are of um, enduring concern, especially to, to pastors. But I also think that uh, there are significant problems that we're facing in terms of, um, and I'm an evangelical, that's why I say we, uh, uh, in terms of not being in control anymore of the public perception of what an evangelical is because of all these news stories now that have been going on for the better part of 50 years about evangelicals, quote-unquote, um, and they're almost always focused on political behavior and the political behavior of white uh, evangelicals and Republican evangelicals. And so sometimes I get the sense that um, you know, there are journalists who are really good at, at understanding evangelicals, for sure, right? and so I don't, I don't want to slam the whole media here. But sometimes you, you get the sense in the, in the way the media talks about evangelicals that outsiders must just think that all we do is sit around and talk about politics and you know how we're going to get Trump reelected and so forth and you know that that's just not reflective I think of your average evangelicals uh, church experience I mean you know I'm taking my kids to youth tonight um, and they're not going to talk about politics there <laughs> you know I mean that's not what we talk about on, on Sundays and, and I mean that you can find some evangelical churches that have, you know, really overtly political services or patriotic services, uh, for sure. But um, I, I think the reason why evangelicals, practicing evangelicals, are evangelicals, um, I, I like to think, doesn't have much to do directly with politics. It has to do with conversion in the Bible and the felt presence of God. I mean, you know, that, that to me is what globally, historically defines evangelicals. And so I don't I don't really know what we can do about this other than to just talk about it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, why I wrote the book is to say, you know, there's a disjunction now between um, the kind of what scholars call lived religion, uh, the kind of everyday life of, of a believer. There's a, a, a disjunction between that and then what you see in the media 
discussion about evangelicals, which is always politicized. Um, and so um, I, I just think that, that pastors and people who write about religion need to have this issue on their radar screen that, um, you know, the everyday life of a believer, I don't think for most believers is defined by politics. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, you, you know, I think what we the problem you, you're on, you're on to something there. You know, we, we have people who they know the stuff in their head, but but we know <laughs> in the Bible to know is in the heart, and so you know we we're so influenced by a Western view of knowledge, um, you know, focusing on our brains and, and filling our heads. And not that there's anything wrong with, with having that, but but to the Jews it was is knowing it in the heart, and and then having it affect our experience. And you know, we don't. I don't think we talk about that kind of. I don't know. I'm not going to say in every church, but I do think that we do need to have. A conversation about that. What is real knowledge, and, and how do you know something? Um, but I think that we just should just have a conversation about knowledge, and and how do we know what we know, and and um, you know then we'll be able to have another conversation about you know the idea, the biblical idea of understanding, um, and and how those two concepts relate, and you know specifically like in the wisdom literature, you know right. um, knowing leads to understanding, it leads to uh, fearing God, and. And, you know, I think that we, we need to have, we need to have more, I guess what I'm saying is to me, what I see is we need to have more foundational conversations because the conversations by and large that we're having are, they're not necessarily the wrong ones, but they're surface level ones. And we have to, the, the statistics are telling us that, that the problems are, are foundational as, as you know, yeah, well. that's right. What, what are the priorities you would like to see evangelicals focus on in the coming days? Well, I, as I suggested in my previous answer, I, I think think that there are priorities that are attributed to us that we're not uh, completely under control of. I mean, a pastor may, you know, want people to think that their church is, you know, focused on the gospel and the Bible and so forth, and then outside observers may just assume that all you care about is politics. <laughs> so, but, but I, I think that at least that evangelical churches, um, if they really want to be in sync with the historic theological tradition of evangelicalism, they need to be focused focused on what has always made evangelicals evangelicals, which is the Bible and conversion and the felt presence of God and and, you know, helping people to know what it means to walk with God in faith. Um, and, and so um, I, I think that that uh, means that we need to be probably extra careful about not uh, watering all that down with ephemeral uh, political concerns. Um, not that we check out from politics. I, I don't I don't think we, that would be an overreaction to, to uh, just withdraw. Um, but I, I think we need to keep our priorities straight. Um, and uh, I think that we should, as best we can, uh, be the sort of churches and evangelical people who, uh, you know, when outside observers um, look at us, say on social media or something something like that, they, their first thought is, oh, yeah, that's that guy who's always talking about Jesus. <laughs> you know? That's that guy who, who had a, a born-again experience. That's that's that guy who, who wants other people to believe in Jesus, too, for salvation, um, as opposed to, oh, yeah, that, that's that guy who rants about politics. Um, I, I think that that's something that individuals need to be concerned about and churches need to be concerned about the message that they're conveying too, and also forming people into Christ followers who are really laser focused on the gospel. And so, um, it, you know, if, 
it may not be, uh, it, you know, my church's fault or, you know, any individual's fault that I'm around that, that people have this impression. And there, there are definitely a certain, uh, a fairly small group of what I call Republican insider evangelicals who uh, will always want to turn the discussion back to partisan politics. And unfortunately, those are the people, in my view, who, who the media is going to continue gravitating towards because the secular media in particular I mean I don't I don't blame them uh, for covering what sells and what sells is political conflict um, and scandal they'll, they'll also cover evangelicals about evangelical scandals and, and, and I, I don't I don't really blame them at all because they, they're just serving a market they they are not inclined to cover evangelicals uh, for their prayer services or for sending missionaries around the world and so forth. that's that's just not uh, the sort of stuff that makes it into the mainstream uh, news. Um, but but certainly we as evangelicals don't want to be feeding the narrative that we're fundamentally uh, concerned about politics and not about uh, faith in God and uh you know, knowing knowing the Lord and and studying the Bible and those sorts of things that I really think are uh, what at the end of the day make an evangelical an evangelical. Yeah, that's really well said. I, I think we would do well as evangelicals to to study the Bible that we say we believe and and maybe take a hard look at the passages that talk about the way that we use our language. Um, yes, we would we would uh, that would correct most of most of the problems that we have. I think so. Yeah. Well, uh, Doctor Kidd, what role should the Bible have in evangelicalism today? Well, an evangelicalism that is that deserves the name has to be deeply, deeply based on uh, on the Bible, and uh, of course, you know what that means in practice in terms of the conclusions that we reach from the Bible about various social and political issues is always going to be controversial. But I, it's not hard to demonstrate uh, that evangelical uh, self-identifying evangelicals. I always have to give that caveat because sometimes I think we're held responsible for people who say that they're evangelicals who are pretty recognizably not evangelicals, either because they, they're not involved with church or they hold beliefs that, you know, and say universal salvation or something like that, but are just, those are not evangelical uh, beliefs historically. Um, so I, I think that, that it, it's it's both a cliche coming out of evangelical culture, but I think it, it, it really is uh the uh, one, one of the essential aspects of what could help the current crisis that evangelicals are in is to be just deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in the Bible, the biblical tradition, historical theology. Um, and uh, if, if we do that, uh, one of the things that it will introduce us to is the the ways in which the way we act and what we project uh, and what we emphasize is historically peculiar um, because you know evangelicals uh, have routinely been involved in in politics but there's never been a time uh, when evangelicalism has been so closely associated with politics in particular one political party it's it's just historically unprecedented and Christians should always have their radar out for things that we say, we confess, we, we believe, we emphasize that are historically unprecedented. That, that usually means they're wrong. <laughs> so, you know, if it's newfangled, it's probably wrong in, in the Christian tradition. If we're, if we're really rooted in Scripture and the, the you know, 
attendance to the great cloud of witnesses and so forth. I think that that can really help us to correct our uh, present day excesses that we get into, not just about politics, but about social issues and, uh, you know, cultural things where we've been co-opted by the culture. The Bible and the historic Christian tradition can help alert us to those things. Yeah, that's that's really, really a good good word uh we, we we have you know people that believe in the all the things that you just said and but then they don't take it into their everyday experience and that's that's where we talk about theologians talk about the sufficiency of scripture you yes. know it's it's like uh, you know house has a house has a foundation everybody knows that and that's those are the those are the basics of our faith you know what we believe what you just said you know about the inspiration inerrancy and uh, authority and clarity of scripture would be the foundation and and the, then you know in a, in a house you have windows and you look out the window that's how do you, you you take that into your everyday you see the world around you and and that's where you take the foundational beliefs and you apply it to the stuff of life and um, you have people that uh, aren't, aren't aren't doing that so we have to ask do we do we believe those uh, do we believe the right do we have the right foundation um, I don't I don't have an answer for that um, the statistics I would I would seem to think don't say um, say no but you know that that there's not uh, everybody isn't uh, included in those statistics, as as you know, Doctor Kid. So we can't make that right. sweeping. We can't make a sweeping generalization generalization there. But I think um, it's 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 alarming for sure. So. Yeah. How do we uh, how do we resolve the gap between much of what evangelicalism entails? in everyday practice and how evangelicals appear in the media coverage today? Well, I think that it's it, it's time for pastors and church leaders uh, just to be really careful about um, uh, making, uh, making it clear that our churches are not uh, primarily or, or really even secondarily uh, uh, political uh, advocacy groups. Um, now, there's going to be topics that come up in your uh, preaching diet um, just as a matter of course about the nature of marriage, the value of life, and, and the, these kind of issues that have um, immediate political implications today, and we, we shouldn't steer away from that. But uh, we need to uh, remember um, that uh, you know these political commitments are ephemeral and they come and go and they are not doing the work of the kingdom for us the government is never going to do the work of the kingdom for us and so that we need to keep all the the priorities uh, very clear and, and in order and and if anything in this day and age I think that pastors need to bend over backwards to communicate to uh, to people that we are we are not as a church, uh, trying to take sides politically, certainly not with any particular party or, or candidate, and that uh, you know we we don't place expectations on people about uh, their uh, partisan activity, um, and, and you know this, this was just part of the the excess, of, in my view, of, of the moral majority and, and groups like it. That uh, you know they would even say the leaders would say you know our priority is as uh, evangelical leaders is to get people saved baptized and registered to vote. Well, I'm, I, evangelicals should applaud the first two and, and say, you know, the, the third is something that other people can can worry about. Um, it's 
just not it, it too easily and, and it has become confused, confusing to outsiders and appropriated by the media, appropriated by, by certain politicians to make it very confusing to understand uh, what the gospel message is and what the priority of the church is. I, again, I don't think complete disengagement is, is the answer, uh, but we're a long way at this point from complete disengagement. I mean, we're, we're much closer uh, to the other extreme, which is hyper-politicization, and just giving the watching world the, the impression that we're basically just a, a, you know, a political party at prayer. It's no good. Uh, evangelicals are not the only ones who have ever been to blame for this kind of behavior, but this this sort of over-politicization uh, has, has just got to stop. And uh, we're not, as I said, we're not in, in complete control of the media narrative about it, but we certainly don't want to give them uh, any extra ammunition uh, in terms of injecting partisan politics into you know, everyday life of churches. Yeah, that's that's really good. Uh, just kind of maybe uh, briefly touching on this, uh, you kind of touched on this. Um, how should our biblical and theological convictions inform our political um, engagement and choices in the polls? Well, I, you know, I think that, as I suggested before, uh, our our biblical worldview is necessarily going to have political implications. And on some of those issues, I, I, I happen to think uh, that there's some questions that are, are pretty clear. Uh, I, I think probably number one on the list for me is, is the right to life and uh, the immorality of abortion and euthanasia and uh, uh, eugenics and, and those those sorts of things. And we, we shouldn't shy away from the fact that, that there are certain beliefs that we have uh, that are going to have political implications. But I think in, in most cases that pastors need to be um, humble, not uh, overly eager to draw uh, one-to-one political uh, conclusions from what the Bible says to some current events kind of issue about, say, you know, the immigration issues or tax issues, climate change. You, you know, I mean, I mean, most of those issues that we deal with are very complex and are not going to be directly addressed in a, in a sort of contemporary uh, way by what Scripture tells us. So, I, you know, I get very, um, and this is, this is a bipartisan thing, I, I get very uncomfortable when Christian leaders on the left or right start making these simplistic conclusions about, well, here's this proof text, um, and therefore we should do uh, what the Republicans say about immigration, or we should do what the Democrats say about immigration. There's principles there, for sure. I mean, there's, there's principles there that can inform our thinking. But I, I think that in most cases, the church should definitely stop short of endorsing uh, a contemporary political uh, view. And we should not be carrying water for, you know, a particular political party. And so I, I in the book, I talk about that. I think in some ways that you look at, at uh, white majority churches tend to be too much you know, in in uh, beholden to the Republican Party in America, but black majority churches tend to be too beholden to the Democratic Party. Um, the the percentages are you know in the eighties or nineties percent for for both groups. Um, and and I, I tend to kind of like the Hispanic evangelical model where uh, their their leaders, uh, um, you know, alignments are the most up for grabs in terms of uh, their partisan alignments because. 
you know, they're the sort of people who say people like Samuel Rodriguez, a very prominent Hispanic evangelical leader, says, you know, look, um, I believe in sanctity of marriage, uh, one man, one woman. I believe in the sanctity of human life, but I also believe in uh you know, helping the poor and, uh, you know, working for social justice and these kind of things. So, so you know, my political beliefs as a Christian just don't 100% sync up with any political options that are out there today. So in the next election, I'll just have to see how it goes. Um, I, I think that's a, you know, that's a pretty healthy, uh, at least dose of taking a step back from any particular political party um, and, and, you know, letting our our biblical worldview and form our politics, but not getting to where we just use the Bible uh, as, as a sort of prop to, to endorse whatever our favorite party uh, happens to endorse. Yeah, that, I think that's a, that's a helpful um, consideration for our listeners that, that they, they should definitely think a lot about, I, I believe. Well, there's, there's a lot that we haven't uh, talked about, Dr. Kidd, and uh, just as we wrap up, could you give us a few takeaways? Well, I, I, I would like to think that evangelicals um, would be able to uh, make a distinction between this kind of politicized image of evangelicals, which is the standard pair in, in the media, uh, and what the historic evangelical tradition is is about. I mean, if you're a self-identifying evangelical um, and you know all about Donald Trump, but you don't know about George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, I, I would want you to have a little more depth to, to how you frame your uh, your, your evangelical commitments and, and identity. And that, that to me is just a matter of uh, identifying with our cloud of witnesses, our, our you know spiritual autobiography, where we where we came from. And like I said before, I think that if we're attentive uh, first and foremost to the whole Bible and and going deep with the Bible, and also understanding how great believers in the past have interacted with the Bible, that that will give us a, a sort of spiritual compass uh, that will alert us to when we've gotten off on ephemeral very time-bound things, but, but but the issues that most Christians in the past have, have either not known about, couldn't be part of. Uh, I mean, I think there's intense Americanism that we associate with the evangelical movement. And one of the reasons it's so peculiar and, and strange is because most of the global evangelical movement today can't share in it. Uh, American patriotism. It just doesn't mean anything to, you know, a believer in, in Nigeria or a believer in China. And, and and if you really heavily emphasize things that people in the past uh, as evangelicals or people today in the present and around the world can't share in as believers, I, I think you've gotten off track. You know, I mean, that that's what I would want individual Christians and churches to think about, that we really need to be guided first and foremost by Scripture, but by if you identify as, the, as an evangelical by, by, by the historic evangelical tradition, and more deeply the Reformed tradition, uh, the tradition of the Reformers, um, and if, if what you emphasize as a believer doesn't sync up with that, I think it should be a warning sign to you that maybe you've gotten uh, sucked in by the ephemeral and the political and the, the 
the temporary. Um, and, and I think at least that those kind of concerns are always being attributed now to evangelicals. Uh, and, and like I said before, we shouldn't give them more ammunition uh, to do that. Yeah, that's that's a really good answer. Um, thank you. Well, where can people uh, go to learn more about uh, your work on social media or just your writing in general, Dr. King? No, I'm on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at Thomas S. Kidd. Um, and uh, so you can see all about my work and what I'm up to. And and, uh, and who is an evangelical is certainly available by uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual book outlets online. And um, So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very active, especially on on. Uh, Twitter and Instagram these days, and so I'd love it if your your listeners would catch up with me there. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link to all that so people can find you, and and I encourage you to follow Doctor Kid and and to check out this book. It's it's really well written and, and thoughtful. So Doctor Kid, as always, I really appreciate your time and and the hard work that you put into everything that you write. And and if and if uh, our listeners don't know, I'll also link to this. Uh, Doctor Kid has an outstanding newsletter that he sends out. About once a week, is that right? Yeah, usually once every week or two. And uh, if you're interested in signing up for that, you can find the, the sign up on my Twitter uh, profile. Yeah, well, Dr. Kidd, I hope that you have a blessed rest of your day and, and thank you again for your time. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.